Coming to the end of this chapter, I wanted you, the audience, to know why these three amazing people had persisted for so long in what they do. In spite of all the hard work and setbacks throughout their lives as activists, they remained quite optimistic, and they made reference to the continued inspiration they drew from their past successes and victories, as well as their upbringings and Baptist and Methodist backgrounds in the case of Arthur and Bob. But Barb and Arthur had two answers to my final questions that really helped to put why they would devote so much time and energy to various causes over the years into perspective. You seem to all have been doing this for a very long time. I, I'd like to know what kept you going. Probably being crazy. Um, I know. I mean, for me, what kept me going was being able to help people as a local president, on, on local executives, and and getting involved and seeing change, seeing things, people being treated fairly uh, when they weren't being treated fairly, seeing changes come about with legislation through struggles that we did, campaigns that we did. I, I know for me, it was just trying to help people who weren't quite confident enough to help themselves and didn't know how to go about helping themselves and, and fighting that way. That, for me, was, was important. Kept me going. At least way back when, the world started becoming better, but then the last several, I'd say the last ten years have been awful. With um, the Harper government, we saw things just go right downhill and rights for people, everything being eroded, and that frustrates me uh, to no end, but I'm glad to see that he's gone. I think one of the, the big things, though, is that when we're looking back, what goes around comes around, and it's like the campaign that was done back in the, in the 70s was done in the 80s, was done in the 90s, and again in the 2000s. It's like every 10 years it sort of rears its ugly head again, and you have to get out and fight to try and reinforce the fact that what we got was good or, again, fight down the changes that they want to make. The kind of things Barb is describing about helping people were a part of the analysis for me, but I think she's spoken them very well and I could, I could share those thoughts. But I would like to say from a different analysis, somebody pointed out that all of us great apes are able to, um, to actually pay attention to about 36 other individuals in our group and many of the people in my group including the people sitting around the table here we're of similar mind so if I've been going to a demonstration or doing a particular activity with someone for years they've become part of my support group I've become part of their support group and I don't have to show up on a particular day but they they would wonder why why haven't I shown up for a long time and I would wonder if I'm working on something why, why are they not doing something? Because we've developed into a group of activists. And when we go back through archival information, we often see the same faces, uh, you know, aging as time goes by. I share these last few comments because they do more than just describe what had kept Barb, Arthur, and Bob going throughout their life journeys. The points that Barb and Arthur make also unintentionally help to explain and historicize protest itself. And they get at the heart of why I am doing this podcast in the first place. Sure, getting to see the changes that they fought for, enacted, and getting to help other people and themselves are both extremely significant. There's no doubt about that. But what I also want you to take away from their answers, and from this chapter as a whole, is an understanding of protest and activist politics as historical. 
Now, I do not just mean this in the sense that we need to recognize the vital role, power, and influence of activists and public demonstrations that have pressured governments and society to make changes that would not have happened otherwise. This fact should already be a little clearer after having listened to this chapter, especially when it comes to workers' rights. When we stop to consider and listen to the people involved in past labor struggles, we see that it has primarily been typical everyday workers who have managed to claim better treatment for themselves and protect their own livelihoods, very often in the face of government opposition. And Barb, Arthur, and Bob represent just a tiny snapshot of the many diverse stories of labor struggles in Canadian history. But beyond this, when I say that protest is historical, I am also referring to the fact that the broad social, political, and economic circumstances or issues that instigate a particular protest or activist campaign are never simply or immediately solved. They are so much more complicated and malleable. Even when they appear to have been solved, as Barb frustratingly admitted, the changes, victories, and new status quos that are achieved by different activist groups are never static, stable, or uncontested. As well, while the circumstances that activists seek to adjust and ameliorate for themselves and others are constantly changing, they do not get progressively better in a continuously straightforward or universally accepted fashion. Constant action is required to push government and society in a specific direction, as well as to keep it moving in that direction. Therefore, protests, that is to say, acts of civil and uncivil disobedience, popular political opposition, and public demonstrations, never truly end. They just change over time as they meet new contexts. And what about the activists who engage in protest? Well, tactics adjust, and ideas evolve, and activists will adapt and persist to deal with their ever-changing struggles. And these struggles tend to be more like the back and forth of a tug-of-war than like a steady climb. Some of these activists will fall away from their causes for various reasons, while others will recruit new generations who in turn will reshape their work around new contexts. Thus, so long as there are communities who are not just willing to fight, but whose livelihoods often depend on solving complex political problems, there will be protest. And like Arthur said, it is often the same collection of activist communities, of which he and his colleagues are a part, that are protesting as time goes by. The two upcoming chapters in this podcast will operate from much the same understanding of protest. One chapter deals with abortion rights in Canada, an issue that remains highly contested. As you will see, very real threats to a woman's right to choose continue to persist to this day, simmering beneath a thin but sturdy political status quo. The other chapter deals with pro-marijuana activism and widespread 420 protests. With legislation legalizing marijuana on the horizon, many people think that the issue for activists will soon come to a close, when in fact, it is only just beginning anew. From the perspective of medical users and activists, the proposed legislation is actually suspected to end up being a continuation of the same forms of heavy-handed prohibition and regulation that they have been fighting against for decades. I make these points here, and in those future episodes, because I think that recognizing protest as historical is, in a sense, an activist act in and of itself. Understanding the life and complexities of the issue you are attempting to deal with and the strenuous labor that will come along with it are key to preparing yourself for the long haul. As I've said, politics and protest are not as simple as apparently solving a problem once 
and it's staying that way. But this understanding also allows someone to place themselves into a history of protest as a vital, necessary piece, and to take inspiration in knowing that communities working together have been able to make differences, large and small, by actively working together and persistently confronting problems head-on. So, when it comes to Barb, Arthur, and Bob, who obviously have an acute awareness of all of these things, they know that their fights are not over and might very well never be over. In fact, in more recent years, they have taken a new approach, and their activism has changed forms with the times. Each of them is heavily involved with the volunteer organization known as the Workers' History Museum. The museum develops various projects that present, promote, interpret, and preserve workers' history, heritage, and culture. They use the memories and stories of workers' past experiences and struggles as inspiration for the future, as well as to counter other historical narratives that have ignored workers' contributions and political actions. My interviewees had this to share. I'm working primarily as project coordinator for Workers History Museum. Uh, a lot of important history has happened. Uh, a lot of people were involved in a lot of important stuff, and with modern digital technology, we're able to capture those voices and capture the stories now before it's too late. I'm actually the treasurer with the Workers History Museum, busy working on several things. One is the Union of Taxation Employees 50th anniversary. We're doing a book and a video for them, and. Um, I've been working with Arthur as co-producers on it. We're involved, too, a little bit with the Public Service Alliance of Canada's 50th anniversary that we're working on. been involved with our Canada's RAND Formula documentary that we just finished. I'm sort of involved in most of the projects that we're working on through the museum, being the treasurer. I was president of the Workers' History Museum. I stepped down a year ago. But I'm still actively involved in the in many of the projects of the museum uh, that include a project on, on EB Eddie, the Family Leave Project, the current RAND Formula Project. I was responsible for the exhibit, the uh, Public Service Alliance 50th Anniversary, for which again I'm, I'm responsible for the exhibit. And one of the things that I did recently, I took over a project to do a walking tour, a self-guided walking tour pamphlet that includes Parliament Hill. Through its range of public services and heritage projects, the museum highlights the successes, struggles, and changes in the labor community. In doing so, it strengthens people's identity and connections to their community and ensures that their side of the story is voiced. Barb, Arthur, and Bob's participation in these endeavors is an evolution of their engagement in the art of protest. So not only do these three fit into a long tradition of activism and public demonstration on Parliament Hill, but they are now in fact writing and developing the history itself as a form of activism. Their projects, like the walking tour, offer their audiences the vital opportunity to see and hear an alternative narrative about Parliament Hill that contains workers and everyday people left out of the many stories being told by the Hill's surroundings and the government itself. But with that being said, the Workers' History Museum can only share so many different issues and stories associated with the constituencies that it represents. Workers and activists in the labor movement are just one group amongst many. Countless others have staked a claim to the Hill throughout its history, and Barb, Arthur, and Bob's experiences are not the end of the story by any means. So, for more tales of activist communities, political issues, and protest... 
Stay tuned to Histories of Parliament Hill.